<laughs> so. Interaction, that's right. Yeah, just depending on the interaction. You be like, well, you be looking at him like, well, I've been telling you that, bro. I've been trying to tell you that. He, well, you know, they, they, he, sometimes they still try to justify. Mm-hmm. You know, well, you know, I was just angry. Nah, nah, you should have just went with your soul stuff. We've seen that a lot, though, ain't we? As far as, you know, the rebellion bringing out certain feelings, certain positions from people. Yeah. That, uh, I mean, we saw with the BLM uprisings, you know what I'm saying, or, or moment that uh, a lot of people hopped on the wave momentarily of black consciousness, you know, black radical thought, aesthetics, and then hopped off, you know what I'm saying, just to hop back on once again uh, in the past few weeks. You know, we, we, we definitely see new people hop on as well. People that wasn't here before. Uh, you know, some people are genuine, some people are not, you know what I'm saying? And uh, I, think, I think we're doing, just from what I see on black Twitter, we're doing somewhat of a good job seeing through a lot of the BS yeah. you know of course we can always do better because there still are charlatans you know swindlers mm-hmm. you know that are getting taking up too much space taking up too much airtime. you know what I'm yeah. saying you know getting in, getting in the, the way of the real yeah I mean they um we in that time where you know they um you always gonna have those type of co- culprits sometimes you can call them agent provocateurs or whatever sellouts Sambos. I don't know like to use those names because I like for those things to be outright with the person. Mm. Like once I know that's what you is, like no, like we got paperwork on you, <laughs> you know. Then like he is official Sambo. His title is officially Sambo now. Mm. That's what we gonna call him. Yeah, we we definitely gotta get into Terry Crews. You know what I'm saying? But before we go any further, I know we already a couple minutes in. Let's go on and introduce the podcast real no quick. Don't tell me he's Sambo. Oh my God, bro! Just <laughs> one second, bro. We we about to pull up this man's tweet. This bad. Hey, Terry, it, man. It's bad out here. Big as you are, bro. You supposed to be. You supposed to represent on an even bigger level, bro. Supposed to be moving shit. No, no, no. no. <laughs> Big giant Henry. This man. All right. We on episode two of the podcast. We ain't got no name for it right now. But uh, as you know, Revamp Podcast is just me and Aki right now. But we holding it down. Peace. And uh, yeah, Aki the G, anything you want to say real quick? Peace. Peace. Um, free the land. If you don't know what that means, you'll figure it out soon. You know what I'm saying? Shout out to everybody uh, in Malcolm X Grassroots Movement that might be tuning in. Anybody that, you know, is uh, anybody tuning in, just a big shout out to you. Any new listeners, old listeners. I know me and Aki took a long hiatus. You know what I'm saying? We yeah. also lost one of our co-hosts as, as she moved away. But, uh, you know, we here and we, ho- we hope to stay here regularly, routinely. You know, keep the legacy going. You know, oh, of course, of course. Try so, to keep this radio going, you know. Because we know how important this black revolutionary media is. And we're, we're trying to contribute in our own way. So anybody messing with us right now, just as we still working out the kinks, you know, you are much, much appreciated. <laughs> That's cutting to the straights. All right, let's get it going. So we got this brother Terry Cruz here, Big Terry. Um, maybe former brother. We don't know. Maybe that's not our call. But maybe fire this time. Maybe we should have that vested power in us. You know what I'm saying? To make that call, we're gonna see. Let's just read what Terry Cruz got to say, man. First off, he says, defeating white supremacy without white people creates black supremacy equality is the truth like it or not we are all in this together go on and respond Aki I'm gonna let you handle this man first what's up 
Well, I, well, first thing I can say on that, man, is that um, you got a problem with black supremacy? <laughs> nah, I'm just messing with y'all, man. I'm just messing with you. Um, the reality is, man, is that his politics isn't going deep enough. We, we're not trying to defeat white supremacy just to, to be a part of the system. You know, we fighting for more than just, you know, um, this, defeating white supremacy involves a lot of different stuff. I don't think he understands the scope of it. You know what I'm saying? Um, the question is, is why do white people got to be involved? He don't want to do nothing without white people's involvement, you know what I'm saying? Because his relationship with white people, white institutions is such that he, you know what I'm saying, he doesn't want to make them uncomfortable. I mean, we know that. We right. know that, though, Keith. Okay, we got that. You know what I'm saying? But, like, the question is, like, what's wrong with that? I mean, I, on, one, on one hand, I give him this, right? You're going to have to, um, to get the things the way we want it, we're not going to go with the ideal. Because if we went for the ideal, we just had total self-autonomy on some land, doing our own thing, governing our own people, you know. So we'll put it in the perspective of us having to still live to some extent, you know. And that's make it sort of local or, or, you know, in a city context. You know, you would, you know, ending white supremacy with, you know, be things like, you know, taking over the police department or, you know, um, taking over the uh, city municipalities, but then also incorporating things that help the working class people, put the power back in the working class people. You know, these would be things that could tear down white supremacy in our everyday co-ops, independent co-ops, not connected to the system. You know what I'm saying? I'm independent from them, you know, but like, yeah, I, I think uh... equality is the truth. Like, equality is not just me being with him and the me. Like, we don't, I, I'm not, I, I, I don't speak too hard on that because I do believe in allies. But that don't mean they got to be evolved in, in this totality. You think he going to be concerned? Do you think white people are going are, are to co-sign black people having self-determination? having self-autonomy with land right here on the United States. Hell no, not not anytime soon. And, you know, and I think uh, if we're to bring in some reading that's, you know, related to this this topic of conversation, I would say uh, Kwame Ture in the book that he wrote with uh, one of his colleagues, uh, Black Power, uh, there's a chapter in that book called The Myth of Coalition Building. The Myth of Coalition Building. And what it speaks about is the need basically for black power, for black unity, for uh, a black nationalist institution, uh, institutional base, um, you know, to unite the black community, to, you know, pursue the black community's need. That, that being a prerequisite to any meaningful coalition building with multiracial allies, right? Uh, and so that's a good chapter, and, and we should definitely maybe delve into that uh, at a later podcast. But, you know, Terry Crews here, he, he just sees, you know, this, this really shows a certain worship for whiteness, you know, in his politics here, where he doesn't perceive of any meaningful political action 
for black people to take internally. It's, it, this is just some irrational fear that placates white uh, anxiety, white fears, you know what I'm saying, of, of his colleagues, of the institutions that, you know, he relies on. I think he made that statement without giving, now he didn't put enough context in that statement. You can't just make a little tweet statement like that and then let everything, you know, ride to, you know, the, um, to ride to the, you know, the imagination of the people. You know, we want to tear down white supremacy. Right. Right. Okay, it may be white folks who might want to help them tear down white supremacy. We want to end whiteness, in fact. You know, we want to end the whiteness. Um, to some extent, in the whiteness and the blackness. Exactly. You know, coming to true type of... Um, nationhood, peoplehood. Yeah, yeah nationhood, live, peoplehood, but like the true, the true, yeah, peoplehood. You know what I'm saying? That's the real objective. So, he want us to be just good old-fashioned... I don't want to say he want us to be house niggas because I, I don't know. See, he ain't gave enough context to his politics for me to really understand him. I mean, I, I see it. I, I don't I know. Can see that you, I can see that he probably leans more towards the capitalist strand. For sure. I mean, he doesn't see our, you know what I'm saying? He doesn't see a future for black people that's not Americanization. He doesn't see... There we go. He doesn't okay, see... Okay, I got you. Yeah, he I doesn't see a future for black people. That. That, right. that, put, that sound better right there. Mm-hmm. I couldn't articulate it like that, but you know, it, 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 that sounds better right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and and I mean, this is within the literature as well. You know what I'm saying? Where where white historians, even black historians, they try to read black history, especially black nationalism, through a lens that uh, sees that as backwards, because there's this philosophical belief in the background, right? Yeah. That undergirds their studies. That says mm-hmm. that black people are destined to be American. You know, yeah. they don't perceive of a black national liberation. They can't perceive of black people with autonomy, black people mm-hmm. with uh, self-determination, with uh, a negotiated relationship uh, based actually on equality, based actually on equity between a black nation or a black ethnic group and and, and the white uh, nation here. If we got just what I say, peoplehood, Let's just say, for instance, black people decided we're going to do our own thing. We came together, you know, we formulated institutions in the hood. We ain't did all the United Nations stuff and none of that yet. We're just doing this on our own. We just, we get it together, right? Get that real sense of people. We get the 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 actual, it's, it's real. Mm-hmm. It just ain't all documented up and all of that up. It ain't fashioned up and everything, but it's there, mm-hmm. right? They have a problem with that. Mm-hmm. They have a problem with a city having that type of cohesion. Mm-hmm. They have a problem with a neighborhood having that type of cohesion. Mm-hmm. So it's like, um, God forbid we start getting on the point of doing it nationally with the organization and actually doing, like, listen, we declaring this now. We, 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 we over 90% in all these eighty-two, ca- all these eighty-two counties, mm-hmm. you know, we finna pull a Texas move. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, and you know that reminds me real quick. I, I, HBO has a series coming out called The Confederacy. You know what I'm saying? And, and it's a what if kind of kind of uh, fictional like story about what if the Confederacy won the Civil War the same day or the same week that was announced. I think it was Amazon Prime, if I remember correctly. They announced their own series 
that's directed by Aaron Magruder from the Boondocks. That's called, uh, I forgot what it's called, maybe Black America or something like that. But it's a what if history of what if black people were given nationhood coming out of slavery. Ooh. And and it looks back, you know, and there are, it's set in the modern day, but the, the history of between our emancipation and national liberation within this story, within this plot, and the modern day, there are a series of, of course, like uh, conflicts between us and white America. I don't know, you got the Jepsy, man, I'm mad. I ain't even got the details of that. You should uh, go sit that to me. Uh, oh, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. So I mean, I'd like to see that. And I love, I, I really hope it come out because it's going to maybe help our people's radical imagination. And, yeah. and, and like, please imagine, you know, we need to imagine more what it would be like, you know what I'm saying, if... We realized early on in our leaders, we had, you know, we and we were able to maybe protect our leaders. If we was allowed to bear the fruits that we established during the Reconstruction period, mm-hmm. all the way, yeah, like, unbroken, yeah, yeah, unbroken. If that was, if that chain of mo, uh, upward, mm-hmm. you know, what I'm saying on all the different scales we was doing it on was allowed to go unstopped. Mm-hmm. And black know? and black people were given a choice. Yeah. You know, what I'm saying based on. Based on self-determination, based on democracy, we were given a choice of if we wanted to be citizens of the country that enslaved us, right? And we have to remember what happened, you know what I'm saying? What stopped that? What stopped the end of Reconstruction? You know, it was a pact between the the slavery-supporting Democrats and the Republicans who, you know, 12 years after emancipation— Tills-Hayes Act. Right. 12 years after emancipation— the Republicans are tired of trying to defend black people's equality. Uh, and what do they do? They make a deal with the Democrats. Yeah, we're going to pull the federal troops out of the South. Yeah. And uh, y'all can go back to managing black people's affairs how you want to. Just make sure you let our presidential candidate win this election. And uh, yeah, we're going to make some other side deals. But yeah, here we go. Gentlemen's handshake. Also, yeah, all that treason, everything y'all committed 12 years ago during the Civil War. Yeah, that's wiped out. That, that's all forgiven. Welcome back into the government. You know what I'm saying? You made your little promises. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And um, the slavery that this was fought over, you know what I'm saying? That's just an unfortunate part of our history. Uh, but in, but in the, the, why did the country do that? Because they wanted to restrict black people into this economic position you know what i'm saying they didn't, they, they didn't have nothing else to do with us yeah a good bit of the a good bit of the skilled labor after the civil war more the majority of the skilled labor in the united states is in african-american hands. see we often are told about plantations right um but through time plantations changed we begin to learn skills masonry bricklaying carpentry um, uh, m- m- early meat processing, honey, and we would be used. You know, these white men would hire plantation labor to come out and do their work, to build their bridges in certain cases. We were doing a lot of the farming, you know. Um, There was a lot of things, and and then too, look at all our senators and people we put in the office during Reconstruction. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like we wasn't doing it. We ain't like we ain't never did this political thing, mm-hmm. you know. Um, like you said, they unleashed the Klan and the Redcoats, 
and, and all those other groups that popped up down there, and they was actually they came from Democrats. Uh, they also uh, they let Irish people become white. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> like, they can't forget that happened at that time. You know, you know what I'm saying. Like, they, they did a whole lot. You know what I'm they saying. Switched it up to protect to protect uh, their white nationalist interests. You know what I'm saying. And and that's a that's what's at the base of this country. Okay, you brought in all these immigrants in the 1800s, late 1800s, and early 1900s from Europe, East Europe, Eastern Europe. You know all those places, right? the job that you could have gave the black folk. You could have just employed us before you allowed us to get into those positions, to work in a lot of those factories, to take over those certain uh, city municipalities, fire department, you know, courthouses, all of those different things that you see. You go to New York and Chicago and you see it all the time. You know, everybody that's in the police department is Irish, seem like, or something. You know, or they Polish, or the police is all Polish. It's a lot of Polish. You know what I'm saying? It's that whole little thing. You know, you allowed them to take those spots before you allowed us to take those spots. They allowed Irish people to take over city governments. You know, the, uh, city institutions. Uh, you know, sectors of of of, of society. I tell people. You know what I'm saying? In, in different regions. You a know, a good bit of research for people to do. You know. Not a scholar or nothing, but a good bit of research to do is the research on New York. Mm-hmm. You start hearing about the five boroughs, the five points, and all of that stuff. Like, yo, the Irish was the gangster ones. Mm-hmm. I, and, and when I say that, meaning the Irish was up there banging on police, they would just go down. That's why they have the mob rules. I mean, like the mob action rules, as far as, you know, mobbing and, and riding and stuff. They used to go downtown when they had a problem. They go downtown and just fight with the police. <laughs> they just go straight downtown. I started reading these newspaper articles from that time period, man. Early 1800s, early 1700s, you know. Um, but they was outside of whiteness all that time. And then, like you said, they was allowed to come into whiteness, you know. Um, we are, you know, we, um... We trying to we trying to get beyond that ourselves, but we trying to get our own independence. We don't even want to be in the white and black game no more. You know, um, we want nationhood and peoplehood. And that's something that, you know, a lot of people that come from Terry Crews' type of thinking don't believe in. Shout out to my, uh... Mentor and brother Lou Turner. One thing he always reminds me of, or he reminded me of in the past, and that's always stuck with me. I put it like that: is that blackness is revolutionary, or it's nothing. Blackness has no use for us as a people unless it's revolutionary. You know, if it's not, then it's something that's be constantly being appropriated, stripped from us, and 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 used to mold us. You know what I'm saying? By white mm-hmm. society. You know what I'm saying? If we're not using blackness in revolutionary ways and with a revolutionary, uh, I guess, deliberateness, uh, it has no use and it's, and it's hurting us. But uh, we need to uh, start, like you said, even within our identities, in addition to our institutions, we have to start thinking beyond this system and uh, its labels for us, you know? So, um, but even in that conversation, we have Terry Crews uh, who is trying to use blackness 
as uh, in some accommodationist fashion. So we have another tweet from Terry Crews. It says, any black person who calls me a coon or an Uncle Tom for promoting equality is a black supremacist because they have determined, they have determined who's black and who is not. And Terry, what exactly is the problem with that? Should we just let blackness be something that has an open door policy to any and everybody who wants to come and be uh, heard and taken seriously? That's exactly how, uh, you know, movements can be deluded, be misled. Um, if we're not defining blackness, just like the civil rights and especially the black power movement, they sought to define blackness in opposition to white society. You know, uh, Terry Crews sees blackness as just the black pepper and the melting pot of America. You know what I'm saying? Where black black people just need to get in where we fit in mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah. and, and accept whatever, you know, whatever the taste is. You know what I'm saying? But no, you know, of course what we need to do as black people is uh, not integrate into this burning house, mm -hmm. but build our own house. I mean, what, what are you thinking, Aki, on this, on this second quote? I mean... He, anybody, any black person who calls me a coon or an Uncle Tom for promoting equality is a black supremacist. You know, a black supremacist... Right. Um... Let's just say this. The fact that we're using the term black supremacist shows the lack of peoplehood and nationhood. The fact that we're uh, using these terms black to define who is and who is not black is really a loss of nationhood and peoplehood. Um, everybody else who ain't playing that game have a standard mm -hmm. of who is and who ain't. Right. No, ain't no Asian person, ain't no China, I should say, ain't no Chinese person gonna accept you as a Chinese person. Exactly. It's not gonna happen. You know, um, what's the criterion? Right now, blackness has to be looked at, at like you said, it has to be in a revolutionary context. Mm -hmm. um, blackness is rooted in the resistance towards whiteness. Mm -hmm. You know? And so, especially for us, when we say a, a black nationalist, you know, I like to use the good old-fashioned Garvey version of nationalist. That's loyalty and allegiance to self and kind first. You said second? You know what I'm saying? You said second or third? What? First. 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 First and foremost, you know. Um, so... In the sense of blackness, then that means who is your loyalty and your allegiance with? That's how we got to determine your blackness. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right and, about that. You know what I'm saying? Are you really loyal to us? Are your is your allegiance to us? And if blackness is rooted in the resistance and the oppression that we get, and it's also rooted in the freedom that we seeking, and our African origins, in our African origins, which is at the root of it, right? You know what I'm saying? Then it's hard for you to make that statement. Like, like it's showing a lack of us not having it, but a lack of him not being there to understand that's really what we need. He's an assimilationist. You know, it, um, everything about Terry Crews' personality and just the way he conducts himself seems like he's keeping white people's feelings in mind at all times, white people's comfortability. Um, his sense of equality 
is um, black people, of course, not being randomly shot down in the street. Um, and that's honestly it. I don't I don't see any of the other things that goes with equality. That's that that you know. This is all taken into a perspective of well, we don't want to be shot down in the street no more. Yeah, but it's a lot more that's going on with us than that. Mm-hmm. You know? How about that reparations, you owe me? Where that check at? Where that, where that money at? He's willing to accept whatever white people offer us, you know, and yeah. those, whatever white people deem best, whatever the white majority or Matter American fact. democracy deems best, you know what I'm saying? Uh, that's what Terry Crews is ready to roll with. That, that's that's my thing. Okay, if, 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 if I, my alternative to Terry Crews is then, are you cool? What about reparations? Do you got to be cool with reparations? How do white people feel? Yeah, you know, do they want to do they want to give up and some lamb, some cash? That's how ter- ter- that's the first question Terry Crews asked. You know what I'm saying? Well, yeah, think there's the same type of people over there in South Africa. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Elites that are seeking to, you know, uh, maintain their elite positions. You know what I'm saying? That are funded through white institutions, through white Afrikaner institutions mm-hmm. and money. You know what I'm saying? So that no, no, they, they try to hold back the Black South African tide of uh, taking land without uh, recuperation for the uh, for the thieves. Yeah. You, you know what I'm saying? So I mean, we see this in you know Black anti-colonial struggles all around the world. You know what I'm saying? In America, they just do it, and you know we under that uh, neo-domestic colonialism. Exactly. You know yeah. us being in the belly of a beast. As you know, a black minority in a white majority country, you know, you know what I'm saying? It, it gives us a special, you know, super type of coon in some sense, you know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Superpower, yeah. like yeah. juiced to the up. Deserve power. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> juiced up coons. I mean, you know, uh, especially too when I look at some of the representations that he's represented in media, you know, um, I don't know, outside of playing. The daddy on Chris. I don't know if any other time I've really seen him in a serious black male role. You know, mm-hmm. um, Chris, he was just a working class father. I done seen that daddy a couple of times in my life. So, you know, but all the other images was never of that level. Sometimes you got to look at a person by what they do. Okay, you ain't in the streets marching, but what do you portray? What is the image of black people? Do you like portraying safe, smiling? You know, and that is that because, and that, and that's why you have that just this total like equality stance. See, we, we forget about the two things that came before that: it's freedom, justice, and equality. Freedom, justice, and equality. You can't get equality and you ain't got the the two. Mm-hmm. The other two, you ain't got no freedom, you ain't got no justice. Right. Freedom is nationhood and independence. Right. Justice is reparations. And that's why people like in Terry Crews' class, and many people like Terry Crews, you know what I'm saying, they don't represent the black working class interest. You know what I'm saying? Like, there is a sharp division there. And we're going to get into that later when we talk about D-Ray and Obama's uh, eight-point police reform plan. You know what I'm saying? Where the people, the streets, black people was calling for abolition of... uh, Local police departments, reinvestment of those funds into more communal yeah. avenues, right? 
They ain't doing uh, that. And uh, of course, it's you know more complicated than that short description. But uh, one thing we know for sure is D-Ray and Obama uh, do not represent the interests of the black working class or the working class of the rest of the country. With mm-hmm. you know, is really uh, you know the progressive working class. We'll put it like that. Yeah. That is you know ha- has engaged in rebellion for massive reforms that you know surpass what BLM uh, was proposing and and what D-Ray is proposing here is a continuation of BLM, hmm. Clinton, Obama uh, type politics. Uh, you know, uh, and that's, what, that's what we're seeing. Simple stuff. I don't get it. So um, let's take a little break here, pause here. And uh, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, actually Brittany Cooper's uh, Time magazine article. Wow. And uh, where, you know, she uh, reveals herself as somebody who hasn't read any social movement theory. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and then we'll also talk a little bit more about, like I said, D-Ray and Obama's uh, eight-point police reform plan. So, all right, we'll be back. Peace. Peace. Hey, what's going on, world? We back up in this thing, episode two, Fire This Time podcast. And uh, now we're going to talk about Brittany Cooper's article, Why Are Black Women and Girls Still an Afterthought in in Our Outrage Over Police Violence? So we're going to try to dissect this article just a little bit and uh, talk about it. And uh, so, yeah, to start things off, Aki, going to read us uh, some of this article. came out in Time Magazine, right, uh, on June 4th. It's going to be in print uh, June 15th. So uh, this is a very recent article. Go ahead, Aki. I mean, I'm going to go at the guts of it, you know. And this is something. This is a question that, you know, um, we can ask the people. She, I guess she's asking it in the article. But for other reasons, she says, uh, second, uh, no, third paragraph. She says, why does it remain so difficult for the outrage, the killing of black women to be the tipping point for national protest challenging state violence? She says, one argument is that the spectacle of video makes our outrage easier to access. We watch men like Eric Garner, Walter Scott, Philando Castile get killed by police on video while doing nothing that warranted lethal force or any force at all. Those killings displaying the officer's clear disregard for black life and distrust of black people's intentions, conjure racial terrors of old men hunted, paraded, humiliated, and murdered for sport, often by police or with police as willing spectators or participants. But when black women and girls like Ayanna Stanley Jones, Tanisha Anderson, Atiana Jefferson and Charlena Lyles are killed, it is often out of the public eye and in a world where the pains and traumas that black women and girls experience as consequence of both racism and sexism remain structurally inevitable and invisible and impermeable to broad empathy. These killings recede from the foreground quietly. Now, first of all, you know, I don't like this. I don't like, you know, why are we comparing black men and black women and the attention that they get? Competitive victimhood? Yeah, competitive victimhood. Um, that seems very divisive to me. Like, um, we shouldn't be comparing. A black man and a black woman is equal. 
It just so happened that black men get killed at that rate till a lot of our shit be filmed. Mm-hmm. So and that's that's a one major problem with this article, right? This is based, it seems, on feelings and it seems Brittany Cooper's um, uh, unscientific analysis of her own social media feed because it doesn't include any numbers in this analysis whatsoever. So why don't black women and girls get the same outrage when it comes to police murders? Well, if we look at 2020, let's just look at the statistics for 2020. For this year alone, there have been 98 black people killed by the police. Mm. Of those 98, 97 of those killed are black men. Wow. Only one of those 98 are black women, that being uh, Breonna Taylor in Louisville. So, uh, of course, if you include, if she includes in this article, you know, why are black men at the center of uh, the protest about police murder? The tipping point. Right. It, why they why they always the tipping point? Why exactly? If we have this year a discrepancy of ninety seven to one, why should black the one black woman that gets killed be seen as a tipping point? Why? And this goes into uh, a competitive victimhood, like you know, uh, where you know you have uh, elite black women, uh, middle class, upwardly mobile black women, you know, engaging in a politics where they they seek to pit black women as the most oppressed in the black community mm-hmm. and this is this is done in a way to engage you know anti-black misandric tropes which are which earn you brownie points in white liberal society <laughs> which earn you brownie points with white feminists which are, which earns you brownie points with uh any white institution you can think of if you can engage in this type of politic because uh, like you said earlier uh there's no need to compare who has it worse and if you and of course if you go by the arithmetic mm-hmm. of uh, intersectionality, if you go by the arithmetic of, um, you know, the version of intersectionality that is proliferating through the academy right now, <laughs> uh, yeah, just the poll, you know, just the poll. Phase through the academy is just a little, little something that they got a little infection. You know what I'm saying? So l- let's talk about, I mean, because this is what's undergirding Brittany Cooper's argument here, right? Because black women are black plus women. Of course, the, you know, and, and even in police murder, they are more oppressed than black men because black is oppressed. But for men, uh, the male part of that is a place of privilege. Hmm. And, and uh, you know, this is this is the where privilege it, always gets shot at by brother. This is where intersectionality, right? This is where intersectionality, much of it in the mainstream, it, you know, you see the holes that are really within it. You see how this is really just uh, window dressing for the same old colonial white gender theory. So let's just li- li- let's listen to. Not just a random uh, person on Twitter or something like that that's misusing intersectionality and black feminism. Let's go to the very person who coined the term, Kimberly Crenshaw. Uh, A few years ago, she's given a TED talk called The Urgency of Intersectionality. In here, she talks about the relationship between, uh, or she talks about uh, the oppression, the gender depression uh, felt in the black community. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's just see what she has to say about black men and white women. Let's just hear what she has to say. But of course, neither African-American men or white women needed to combine a race and gender discrimination claim to tell the story of the discrimination they were experiencing. So neither black men or white women needed to combine a race and gender claim. She's saying this because 
She's saying that white women, uh, uh, they're oppressed because they're women, but they're white. So they don't need to combine those two claims. And she's saying for black men, because they're black, they're oppressed there, but they're not oppressed uh, because of their gender, because male, maleness, it's masculinity privilege. is privilege. This is this shows the hollowness of mainstream intersectionality. See, they act like they act like these identities are inseparable. They act like, uh, but they're they're adding in on top of them. Uh, they're adding them on top of each other when it's convenient, when there's a political agenda or brandy points to be made. They do it very unscientifically because, of course, if you look at the numbers, 97 black men to one black woman. There's, I don't like using the liberal terms of privilege and all this stuff, but it, yeah. you, using this, using their terms, you have to talk about how black women are privileged because of their gender then, right? In it, this it, white supremacist system in America, there's, yeah. Yeah, because they definitely threaten to a black male. Yeah. I don't see, but I don't even, I don't, I don't want to say who's more privileged. Yeah. When it comes to police murder yeah. between black men and black women. That's not my, that's not yeah. philosophically, politically, intellectually how I want to operate, yeah. how I want to talk about the oppression of my community. You know what I'm saying? Of course, I, but I, I'm not like Kimberly Crenshaw. I'm not like Brittany Cooper. Neither are you, Aki. I see, yeah. That's what I, I like what, you, bro. What I, what I hear is that what I see her doing is taking something that's going on with us as a people um, and using it for the gains or using it sowing division in the movement with ideology. Pure the ideology. Yeah. It's ideology and it's not scientific. Let's just read the, last, the next paragraph real quick. The next paragraph right here says, to blame this lack of public focus on, yeah. on black women on a lack of video is disingenuous given that the Black Lives Matter movement exploded <laughs> in the wake of two killings from which there was no filmed evidence, that of Trayvon Martin and Michael Brown. So let's break that down a little bit. But with, with Michael Brown, there was video evidence directly after his murder while yeah. his body was in the street of his community by the dozens seeing him telling what they saw mm -hmm. of his murder. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And they started a movement and of course, let's, uh, this is the part, Lo the local politics, the local mobilization, which Brittany Cooper doesn't talk about in her article about Louisville, right? Doesn't yeah. even get into it. Don't get into it. But uh, this is another part, the local mobilization, because the community saw it, it was out in public, yeah. right? So there was video evidence of the, the, the mobilization and the outcry directly afterwards. With Trayvon Martin, there was an audio recording of yeah. the murder. And uh, this was a, a teenage boy killed by a, vi a vigilante. Vigilante cop. Not right. even a cop. He was a, vi no, he was a wannabe, a wannabe cop slash vigilante. Right. And, and of course, what, uh, what came after Trayvon Martin was not the same as what came after Michael Brown. Exactly. So uh, I think she's being disingenuous with the importance of, of video evidence. That's right? why I'm saying. She's, so, 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 but it's disingenuous all around. In yeah. 2020, there has been one black woman killed by the police. That's Breonna Taylor. And what she doesn't talk about in this article is the seven plus days, straight days of protest in Louisville that, and, and around the country uh, for Breonna Taylor. The, she doesn't want to talk about that. You know, she she rather just ignore the headlines, that the testimony She's from activists. She's trying to stir up shit that don't even go on in the hood, bro. We don't even when most people in the hood, they don't even have that argument. 
They not even having that argument. Right. When it comes down to about, like, you know what I'm saying? We not trying to compare black men to black. We know, they know, in the hood, we know that it's mostly the brothers who get hit by the police. If a sister get hit by the police in the hood, you know what I'm saying? They generally act the same way. Especially when it was done in the wrong. That's why I asked her. I, I asked this on Facebook. I maybe asked this on Twitter too. I was like, well, "How is a crunk feminist?" Because that's what Brittany Cooper brands herself. What the hell is a crunk feminist? A crunk feminist. She brands herself a crunk feminist. How crunk is somebody feminist. who's a crunk feminist so disconnected from the streets? How is somebody who's a crunk feminist so disconnected from the struggle in the streets? You sound like you straight, stuffed up, stuffy in the, in the, <laughs> in the ivory tower. Like, like you ain't got outside and dusted like, yourself off in a while. You know see, what I'm saying? See, in the hood, this can be explained real simple. Especially, to, I, could, I go back to the tipping point part. Right? In the hood, and I mean amongst black folks, right? Stuff sometimes pop off. Not immediately. Right? Something can happen. Slide. You remember, that person remember, something else happened, it slide. It's building up, but it slide. Next thing you know, it pop off. It's a chain of events that led to that pop off. Brianna Taylor was in that chain of events. All, but all she had to say, all Brittany Cooper had to say about it was the protests were belated. Whatever the hell that means. Yeah, yeah, I guess they was too late. All our protests is too damn late. To be real with you, it's just the point of that this stuff been going on for so long. We did get on point. You know, we took some from the last episodes of this. You know, we now we get it right on it. I, I mean, I can't, I can't help but see. You know, all this stuff is just. I don't want to say traitorous. It, it, it is just such a black liberal and demobilizing position, de-radicalizing position to take. On, on what's going on. To, make, to try to make people question why a black man getting killed on camera, you know what I'm saying? Uh, why we, we should question why that sparks a national movement after 97 so far been killed this year. We should question why a black man, you know, a black uh, man comes to take central stage in our national protest. Uh, all that stuff just seems weird to me. You know what I'm saying? It just seems like it's so... For, like you said, foreign ideology, foreign to what's going on in our community, in the streets, like like how we live every day. We're not having this argument. I, I sit around black people, everyday black people. There no no necessarily um um political uh, common political stances as me. And all of our and I'm and I'm sitting around sisters, all rages, and all of them was like, yo, you know, we tired of them killing our men. And I mean, Brittany Cooper's always saying, we don't think about this, we don't think about that. Uh, this is this is all in the framework of what is, what is being talked about in the academy or in white media. That's what I'm Be thinking. Because the communities, yeah, where we these, ain't having that conversation. the communities where these things are taking place are talking about this. We have to stop basing what we think black people are talking about or thinking based on social media. You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? Like, and... Uh, Brittany Cooper just know she revealed herself for not having any knowledge yeah. about what 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 Louisville's yeah. talking about. Yeah, if you talk to people in Louisville, Louisville, they popping it off. They popping it off, and they say we been mad, nigga. What, what you talking about? <laughs> and how dare you try to define our? You know, what I'm saying like, you know, just to just have this negative ass view. I mean, Brittany Cooper even talks about brings up Ida B. Wells. How dare you bring up Ida B. Wells in this conversation? And she's talking about Darnella Fraser, who filmed George Floyd's murder. Yeah, and. uh 
there has been uh, some uh, outcry and pushback over what Darnell has uh, experienced be, being, uh, you know, pers the person that filmed that. And yeah. it, it, it's kind of akin to the uh, the black man that filmed Eric Garner getting, ki uh, yeah. getting killed, and he got locked up for that, right? Yeah. Uh, and I, I think he still might be locked up for that. I don't know. He might have got out. He might have got out, but he, he did get locked up on some bogus shit and, and had to deal with a lot with the court system because of that. But anyway, she brings up Ida B. Wells... Uh, to reference this, you know, but Ida B. What did Ida B. Wells do with her research? Ida B. Wells is one of the first Black Studies, you know, activist scholars. Yeah, you know, you could you could say she that. She used it to bring it to the light and the, make awareness of. It. The, the, exactly to bring the gender depression of Black men to the light, and this is what they don't want to admit. She even talks. Uh, she mentioned something in here. Um, Brittany Cooper, you know, with the article kind of just rests on this idea that black women are uh, oppressed because of their gender and their race in a way that black men are not. And this is white feminist, white feminism to its core. You know, this idea that black men are just, you know, like uh, where they, they, they just erase our gender depression. It, it erases a part of our humanity. And, um, you know, it, it's only done by people who really don't seek to understand or try to correct these problems, but just to benefit from, you know, their Anything you do, it's got to be rooted in the everyday working class people. Everyday working class people ain't dumb. We know what this is about. We've been having to tell people. I know people who ain't got no political understanding. I keep you wrong, bro. It's a privilege for black men to get killed on camera. It's a privilege <laughs> that we are 97 times more likely this year to get killed on camera by police. Well, I don't want that privilege no more. I can get that back. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, these type of analysis from people like Brittany Cooper, you know what I'm saying, who don't, you know. And according to them, it comes because we males. Right. It, our cut, the cut, the increased coverage is because of a privilege related to our maleness. Wow. You know, it, but with it, in fact, it's because in a colonial system, this pronounced violence directed towards outgroup or racialized men in, in this society that's black men, you know, is so pronounced because of the threat the sexual and gender-based threat that the colonial system feels about black men. His system uh, is, his system, his system naturally is a patriarchal system. And so in a patriarchal system with a patriarchal people, when you are an invader, and you, or invader or explorer, but in specifically an invader, and you come to those people, you, because you are patriarchy and you see men that way in your culture, when you encounter another group of people and you see their men, you see them in the same light that you see your men in your culture. Right. So you seek to eliminate that which is like you. Right. And, and of course, you try to spread lies that they're savages. You know what I'm saying? That's how you assimilate the women of that culture into your dominant culture. There because those savage men that we, had to, that we have to kill off, you know what I'm saying? Like, they're too dangerous for you. You should come to this safer... Uh, you know, colonial sphere, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. This colonial society assimilate into us, you know what I'm saying? And that's why you see so many black men locked up, you know what I'm saying? That's why you see so many black men killed, you know what I'm saying? Because there's not the same door being opened by colonial society. And of course, these are only token positions we're talking about, you know what I'm saying? Black women are not entering into the same powered position as white men. They're given token positions, and so so are uh, some degree of, of black men as well. Mm -hmm. But uh, within the popular culture, within liberal media, within the academy, you're seeing this uh, pronounced gender division based on the idea that black men are privileged 
because of our gender in this colonial society. We don't want the privilege. <laughs> it don't y'all exist. Can get it back. If, right. if it's a privilege, y'all can get it back. I don't even want it. You know what I'm saying? Because um, they won't take it back. They 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 are made too comfortable by attaching it to you and to me. But if the reality is this, if it's based in what they say, then it's attached to my maleness, period. So even if I didn't want it, I got it because I'm a male. Right. They don't want to they don't want to really see a inter, the intersection of of blackness and maleness. You know, they don't really want to consider that. I don't or you know, either they're not capable of thinking on that level or manipulatively they don't seek out and explore that path at least publicly mm-hmm. because to do so would expose the failure uh, on, on their part to really uh, you know discuss these things honestly. Mm-hmm. Got to start having these things conversations again. Just go to got to take it out of the academic realm and take it back into the churches mm-hmm. and the community centers and places like that. And and of course, if you go by social media, if you go by the liberal dominated media and social media and the academy, you would think that all working class black women are united around the same brand of feminism, the same mm-hmm. brand of black feminism. And that's also not true. Not that's, true at that, all. That's not true at all. And uh, there, I, I come across a lot of black women in the academy, uh, undergraduates, graduates, uh, faculty members who, who do have this false sense of uh, ideological superiority within black politics, within the black community, mm. where they just they just they they think that they the way that they think is the right way, and that uh, and, and that because. I guess they attach this to even black women they never met, never talked to, never had no relationship with. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So, anyway, let's kind of pick some of this apart. So, there's an article by an author named Stephanie Phillips. The article is called Beyond Competitive Victimhood. This is a chapter found within Athena Matua's Progressive Black Masculinities. So this is an article that's talking, that's trying to push black gender politics, uh, black gender discourse beyond this uh, competitive sense of who is more oppressed because uh, it leads us to uh, ruin. It really does. So let's read what Stephanie Phillips has to say. She says, black feminists must continue to expose the myths, misinformation and lies used to deny the oppression of black women. However, the defense of black women and explication of our suffering can be taken too far. Yielding statements by some black feminists, <laughs> Kimberly Crenshaw, <laughs> implying that black males consistently benefit from gender privilege, not only in relationships with black females, but also uh, in the comparative advantage of black males and females in American society at large. Correcting this distortion, which has been the discernible, which has been, which had been discernible in the work of some, keyword some contemporary black feminists, was a probable precondition for furthering feminist ideas amongst black women who live and with and observe black men on a daily basis. She's saying working class black women observe and live with black men on a daily basis. Some of these black feminists who feel differently, she's saying they don't, right? Mm. So last sentence in this paragraph. If black feminism seemed to deny or to misapprehend the realities of black male oppression, which it does, then it was unsurprising that black women were reluctant to describe themselves as feminists, which they are. (laughs) And they are. Black women are reluctant to describe themselves as feminists. You know what I'm saying? Because of this misapprehension of the oppression of black men. 
who Stephanie Phillips says black women live with and study with and build with and you know romance with and you know, you know yeah, daily that's, that's you know they made to do that's what they made to do for each other right there it's a beautiful thing exactly so uh she goes Jeez. on she goes on some just together some black feminists had done important work on the question of gender depression of black males but there was no unanimity unanimity on the question whether black feminists should abandon the formulation that black women are more oppressed than black men or on the question whether it is beyond the scope of black feminism to pay attention to uh, the forms of racist oppression specifically directed against black men. This lack of consensus caused theoretical and practical, practical difficulties for black feminists, particularly in relation to the broad anti-racist movement. And she goes on the picture I have of the article cuts off. I won't be able to finish that sentence. But um, she, she's admitting something that we all feel. And, yeah. I, and I love that she was able to write this, you know, and it's a very well-researched article, very good volume of, 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 of work on black masculinity here mm-hmm. that does not fall into the Eurocentric Western type of uh, thinking that undergirds a lot of mainstream black feminism. Athena Matua is out of New York, ain't she? I'm not sure. I always hear the, her name in positive lights. I need to look more into Athena Matua. I think she's out of New York. I hear nothing but good things about Athena I think Matua. she's so, out of New York. So shout out Athena yeah. Matua. Shout out Stephanie Phillips. I also don't know much about you, but I talk about your article a lot and I always make sure I cite you. So uh, if you're listening, probably not. Shout out to you Thanks. for publishing this work that uh, helps black men and black women in the working class describe this cultural repression that has a black face and white, you know, power behind it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And uh, Kimberly Crenshaw, uh, Brittany Cooper, we want you to do better. Just do better. We want you to do better. We want you to see our gender depression, you know what I'm saying, in um, a, a better light, see the fallacy of this idea of black male privilege. Yeah. Um... You know, we, we got to do better. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and Brittany Cooper's article relies on this unscientifically just based on her fears. Yeah. Cause there, there's, no, there's no scientific analysis here. You're asking why Breonna Taylor isn't a spark when she is a spark. Look at Louisville. It ain't no scientific analysis, but let alone from that, it ain't even no uh, get on the ground type of analysis. It ain't nothing. In, in the quote, and that's the thing, the quote Ida B. Wells, the reference Ida B. Wells in this. Brittany Cooper, you... The, the fact that you as a, a black woman journalist, writer, even mentions Ida B. Wells' name disgusts me. It really does because are you on the ground like Ida B. Wells is? On the Go, ground. On the ground. With Go, your pistol. With the, look, going, going location to location in the black community, asking questions, having interviews that made people uncomfortable. You are placating white interests. You are placating. You're placating the anxieties of white feminist institutions and funding that from you rely place, on from a place of safety. Because Ida B. Wells was going into white territory and having to sit and having to get these get this information. You know, she had to go into enemy territory to get this information. And you're over here using white feminist theory and claiming as black feminism that it's all around. Disgusting and and it's in Samboish, Coonish, truly, truly. All right, Brittany, we off your head. Till next time, we're gonna see some more shit from you, I'm sure. Till next time, because she's gonna say something soon. I might go his mouth. All right, y'all. So, what y'all think, man? Fire this time, we back. We're gonna get 
Aki, a blue vest for Halloween. He gonna go for Halloween with D-Ray McKesson. What y'all think, man? I'm going as Malcolm. Dye my hair red, put my Malcolm glasses on. That I, You know, that actually might be a good description, like, for two sides of the spectrum, <laughs> as far as, like, black nationalist politics. <laughs> you got D-Ray McKesson on one side, and then maybe Malcolm on the other. That's a hell of a meme right there. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. That's a hell of a meme. So, um... If y'all can't tell, now we're going to talk about D-Ray McKesson and uh, his liberal policy. I guess because this is also Obama's policy. This was on Obama's website, I believe, before D-Ray McKesson, you know, tried to brand it for the for the moment, you know, with, you know, how liberal media wants him to brand shit. You know what I'm saying? So anyways, enough of me talking. Let's check this out. Eight ways to reform uh, policing right now. Uh, let's get it. And obviously... If I just go outside and start waving my gun at people, that is considered aggravated assault. When the police do it, it's not even something that's reported. That's unacceptable. Banning chokeholds and strangleholds, requiring de-escalation, requiring a warning before shooting, exhausting all alternatives before shooting, a duty to intervene, banning shooting and moving vehicles, establishing a, a use of force continuum, which just means that the police have identified which force can be used in which circumstances, and then requiring that all force be reported. These eight things are simple. They are things that mayors and police chiefs have the power to change today. We have just not had the political will and the courage to do so. So let's go on and wrap it up right there. Uh, D-Ray, I mean, Aki. You just didn't call me D-Ray. <laughs> no, the hell you just we're, didn't call me D-Ray. We're going to get this man this blue vest. All right. I'm not getting into no damn blue vest. I'm a black man. I don't wear vest no more. <laughs> Suit coat or something. So what you think? Uh, did you hear Did you hear the, uh, the, eight, the eight joints he just laid out? Yep. What you thinking? All bullshit. Why is that? Because you ain't had to go through eight. He, went, he, he gave eight points. And these points are supposed to help him, you know, uh, what did it say? Didn't say stopping police brutality, right? I guess lesson in. I want to be exact, but that's the messenger. It's simple to me. Got a, got a couple of options. Tell us about what you want to do, how much work you want to put in to get it done. You can one, you can build your own policing system and police your own damn community. Two, you can police the police and create an institution that's set up to police the police. Or, you can infiltrate the police department and become the police and police your people. Simple. You don't need eight for that. Everything he talking about is reform. Yeah, I mean, can this system be reformed? I don't know. Reform is supposed to only lead. Reform is acquiescence to could one day maybe lead to some extent to revolution. But reform ain't the end game. I, I mean, like we talked about earlier in the podcast, I think that his 
this political program for policing doesn't match up to what the streets is calling for, what the movements are Not calling for, what the Not rebellions and, and protests are calling for. They're calling for abolition of police departments and uh, reorganization, redistrib redistribution of power and resources in the communities to police themselves. Yeah. Uh, I, I think in Minneapolis you're hearing that being raised up. Uh, maybe not in as concrete a program as need be. Yeah. And, th and that's a huge part of the problem. You know, black revolutionary black nationalist politics are not on display, are not part of the conversation enough in, mm -hmm. uh, at this point in the movement. That's why yeah. I don't have uh, a large amount of hope that the protests so far are going to lead to any, um, you know, large-scale reform at this point. Yeah, somebody may get charged the, the, uh, and, and make him get convicted. Mm-hmm. But the actual steps that's going to take place that needs to make sure this don't happen again? I mean, it's going to take a lot more organization on, on yeah, our end. Yeah, it's going to have to get end. a lot more organized. And I, I think there's two hands. You know, how I and it to, might happen. I can't say it won't, but you know. It will happen. It will happen eventually. Mm -hmm. But, you know, how we have to approach this, it has to go, you know, I, I think about it in two ways. On one hand, we do have to engage in some uh, meaningful reform, political protest type yeah. work. Yeah. Uh, on one hand, that's for sure. On the other hand, we always have to be institution building in our own communities. There you go. You know what I'm saying? We have to, you know, start building up institutions that, you know, uh, can oversee and administer certain parts of uh, uh, communal processes. You know, yeah. Uh, we need institutions that can, uh, you know, uh, take over something like a court system that can enforce and create our own laws. Got you know, full work. And, and exactly, and, and we are we eventually do need some type of force to uh, enforce those laws within our go. community. Mm -hmm. um, of course, this is not going to be the same immoral laws with the same immoral tools mm -hmm. of uh, white nationalist police forces across this nation. This and is going to be it, it, the, the not the the lack of knowledge of their people to understand where they people at when they're dealing with. Right. Know? When a black man encounters another black man, he know when he turned up and when he ain't. Right. We know when he didn't had a following out with his girl and when he ain't had one with. We know we, the things that a police are normally called for in the community. The black person can read what that is. Because they know they come from that same type of community. And they come from a community like that. It would, that community. It's going to be an entirely different relationship. You know, one we can't really fathom in our present moment with the, mm -hmm. the current policing situation in this country. They just still got to be willing that, even though I know you, bro, what you did is what you did. I'm coming to get you. Mm -hmm. You know? But but, I mean, but uh, you got to think, the society we're also talking about, uh, way before that type of law enforcement with force being necessary, physical force being necessary, think about all the other institutions that are going to be much more funded and yeah. much more useful to uh, you know, uh, you know, stop those type of uh, you know any and, type of violence from even well, occurring. Well, let alone from that, when the person that polices your community lives two houses down from you, that's a whole different relationship you're gonna have with that person. Oh yeah, there's somebody two highway exits away from you. Yeah, um, you know what I'm saying. The relationship shows that when police officers and firemen live in a community, when the successful people Living in their in their community, they prosper. Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny that it's like a lot of people don't want to do that. Like, you should want to be rich and live in a black rich. Um, and I don't want to say rich, 
I'm just going to people's imagination. I would say stable. Mm-hmm. Um, you who wouldn't want to be black and live in a black stable neighborhood with other black people who stable just like you? Mm-hmm. You know, if your dream is not to even be on that, nah. And when you're talking about police, you know, yeah, we have to use this is no, there's no measure for reform and revolution right now for us as black folks mm-hmm. in America. Our our power, our, our our existence and history has showed us that we sometimes have to use different and various tactics to get what we need as a people here. So, you know, um, but I do know that's still the same. Those three I laid out is still the same. Cause you got to use some of the reform tools to get some of that. You still got to use the political process. Mm-hmm. Still gonna have to use your vote towards power and its extent. You still gonna have to get your ass and go out there and vote. You still gonna have to motivate black folks to go vote. You know, these are things, you know. And also the abolition of police departments doesn't necessarily mean the end of police brutality. It's I mean, good, I mean, look at the example of South Africa. There's yeah. a lot of private police forces, private law enforcement forces in South Africa that are just as brutal, if not more just brutal. brutal. So uh, pri- privatizing, I mean, you gotta think, when they defund education, they privatized it. Yeah. You don't think that they're gonna, when when they defund law enforcement, it's not gonna get privatized? Well, you gotta think about it. Um, the origin of the police, and its origin was in slave catchers. Mm-hmm. That was a privatized institution. Mm-hmm. A privatized, no, privatized business. It was different individuals who had slave catching businesses. Mm-hmm. And then they started policing up there. They that's the members who stayed in a community and they policed around in that community. You know, their origins is in the in the in the policing and the slave catchers and drivers and the security guardsmen of the early years up New York and Philadelphia and all that shit. And, and all of that. they That's their origin. It's just that they, everybody mo- m- modeled their stuff after New York because it's one of the earliest states in the United States, and it was big. Mm-hmm. So they instituted them down south and stuff like that. But from its inception, it's always been used to target black people. you damn right. Tear the whole institution down. My thing is this, Aki. I'm thinking about it like, how do we, you know, if the question is how do we get out of this, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like you, like you said, it's going to go one of two ways, you know what I'm saying? It's either, you know, we're going to trip and, you know, embed ourselves deeper into this colonial relationship and be placated once again in this moment through piecemeal reform, you know? Or we're going to do something else, you know? The, the, the question for me is, you know, I think D-Ray, Obama, other liberals, they're asking the question, you know, what can we get, what what can we get American citizens, first class citizens, what can we get the American government, American politicians to do about this? What can we convince through our elite negotiation? What can we convince them to do about this? What we need to come to our communities with is, what are we going to do about it? There you go. What are we going to do about it? No matter no matter what type of reform comes. Yeah. You got to have term, a plan your damn self. Long term, whether it's temporary or sustained reform, we have. This is about self determination for our people. This is what they want to distract us from. This is why Terry Crews says defeating white supremacy without white people creates black supremacy. He's also scared of this type of politics because he's getting he's gaining this fear from a socialization, like we said, around white people. Mm-hmm. There's this fear 
of any type of black autonomy, any type of black autonomous protection. You know what I'm saying? Uh, we always talk about Huey P. Newton in his quote, you know, this is about survival pending revolution. We, of course, we want a revolution within law enforcement and within society at large. Of course, there would be no revolution, transforma revolutionary transformation of law enforcement, no abolition of prisons in this society without a revolution of the larger society. This is what I mean, it, it, if, if I understand the word endemic racism correctly, you know what I'm saying? If I understand this term correctly, that means it's part of the very fabric. And uh, some people think that yes. they can dye it out. Some people think they can just bleach it out. No, you can't. No, you can't no, do that. No, this is part of the very fabric. You know what I'm saying? We have to weave a new blankie. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we we got to weave a new scarf, whatever you want to call it. We got to. We, we're making a new garment. You know what I'm saying? Uh, it, we're talking about racism being part of the fabric of this country. It's true. It's true. Uh, and, and, and we have to. Yeah, this has to be less about. What we can convince and negotiate or negotiate from white society to treat us better, it has to be more about what are we going to do about it? How are we going to protect ourselves through self determination? So with that, Aki, I think uh, you know we coming to the end of the episode. You know what I'm saying? So um, I guess any last words on uh, anything about Terry Crews, Brittany Cooper? We talked about D. Ray. Uh, any, anything you want to touch on real quick before we head out? You know what? I think we pretty much covered it all. I just say that, you know, when it come down to the police, you know, especially in the current moment, you know, we got to really come to the conclusion and ask ourselves, what are we going to do? If we're going to say we, if we're going to, you know, if we want to say, well, we can do it in a less violent route, okay, then that means you plan on taking over the police or policing the police. Mm -hmm. Abolition is a liberal wet dream without nationalist politics. There you go. Let me say it again. Abolition without uh, nationalist politics is just a liberal wet dream. It really is because uh, if you're not talking about, if you're not trying to theorize and pursue how you're going to replace the system yeah you know what i'm saying uh before you destroy it yeah, then, you then you, what you're asking for is um a recapitulation to white supremacist norms and that vacuum of power that's created there you go in in a moment of crisis we right? can use that we can use a good example of that um we've seen that in some of the countries in africa when they early got liberated exactly there you was know. there yeah exactly. they left that vacuum there mm -hmm. and that vacuum the people they didn't have nothing there. Mm -hmm. So they went back. They say, well, shoot, I want the, the last shit I got. Mm -hmm. And the main people that was at the head of that was the bourgeoisie mm -hmm. who had that life. And next thing you know, the revolution started for them to oh, get the British or the English or the French or whoever else out. Now we got another revolution, getting the revolutionaries out. Right. I see a lot of abolitionists on my timeline and certain social justice movement spaces who uh, speak about abolition but have these irrational fears that they gain from white society about black nationalism. Yeah, We have to place black self-determination, black national liberation at the center of uh, our politics. And so does any of our allies or anybody interested into in a better society? You know, uh, if you want to solve the contradictions at the core of U.S. American society, which we're tasked with, 
then uh, we we have to deal with uh, us, nigga. You mm-hmm. got to deal with us, motherfucker. Mm-hmm. Like we here yeah. and uh, the contradictions that were raised through our enslavement. You can't and, and can't the, get around in the stripping of our uh, autonomy, the reins of our political destinies, economic destinies, cultural destinies were stripped from us. That has to be repaired and repaid. And repaid. I want my reparations, folks. Or, look, this house will burn up, and we'll cut y'all throats while it'll burn up. Won't you? I want my reparations. That's it. You know, they're taking us to the extreme. You see, with the people, that's the crazy thing. They, the people out here right now, wilder, and it ain't even nothing that really got super serious yet. It ain't even got serious yet, Aki. It ain't got serious yet, it and ain't. that ain't organized. Niggas, that's just some cats. That's just some cats is mad. We ain't, we, we ain't seen no black protests with no rifles that been popping off. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you know, but, but don't get me wrong. The rioting is something that's... Because we didn't do this for Trayvon and all that. Oh. We burnt up some shit a little bit. But you know what I'm saying? As far as the rioting and the looting, and it been all over the country, I don't think I ever seen that in my lifetime. No, not to this With year. the riots, I mean, and if you think back in history, maybe sometime in the 60s, you know, with the watch rides, there was some stuff going on in, this, in those summers. But, like, nah, best was in Martin Luther King. There was a lot of rides from Martin Luther King. But see, the, the danger of individualism, and that's where we're at right now, because you got to think, even some of those protests showed a lot more, peaceful protests showed a lot more unity than we have now, and yeah. a lot more patience, and a lot more um, dedication than what we're displaying right now in this moment. Mm-hmm. The reason that some of these massive protests are making history with their numbers is because they have less stakes. Yeah. Because there's less demands attached to them. There you go. That's why some of these are so massive. Mm-hmm. Uh, when before, uh, they were just generally more black nationalists in, in, in feeling. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Some of them, even the early civil rights movements and stuff like that had a more, more of a black nationalist yeah. undergirding than a lot of this liberal shit. That that that's that, well, that's out here right I now. Think this, I think the, the the difference was is that see, a lot of those, um, even middle class, blacks, was coming out of an era and time where they was even told that they gotta go sit mm-hmm. on the back of the bus or you can only play in front of segregated crowds. That's what we forgetting. And then you gotta remember too, by that time. Black scholarship was already in its early stages of being established. Mm-hmm. You had a lot of those early brothers who presented us with some of the early research into our history here in North America that was coming really out of the Garvey School and the Du Bois School. You know, um, we, we, we sort of got that same type of legacy thing jumping off with our generation, too. You know, we still follow, to some extent, some of those lines. Um, but like um, academia is definitely needed, but academia is a tool, and it's definitely a different tool than it was before. Yeah, it, like, like, know, it, like 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 academia, like the research that our people do into us, whether it's into the the the, the whether it's racial wealth gaps or um, and really to be honest with you, our people that did this research already. Like this ain't no new shit. We've been, we our people been producing scholarly work. Everything you believe in, every piece of, uh, of um, theory that you've ever studied, I bet you can find a black person who's teaching. Mm-hmm. Oh, 
for sure. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, you know, it's about expounding on that. You know, now, you know, we got to produce scholarship that's going to be in solutions based. You know, theorizing the things that it's going to take for us to build an independent educational program. Solution based outside of this uh, integration, this yeah. ethic. You know what I'm yeah. saying? We need so, we, we need solutions that go beyond our integration yeah. of this, into this society. Yeah. And we need to now figure out, okay, we need study into what type of education would we set up for our children if we had our own independent education? Right. Based on how our children live every day, what we know about our children. Okay. And white people might not be as interested in those studies. White people might not give you as much camera time. There might not be as much white liberal funding in that research, mm -hmm. right? But uh, are you willing to make that sacrifice? And, well, you know, and, if you and, give us self-determination, let us do our own thing, we'd be more than welcome to one day let you come down and study at one of the black universities they're gonna and want learn to. the doctorate, get, get you a little doctorate, and you know what I'm saying? <laughs> black self-determinism. You know what I'm saying? So you can go back and tell your little white colleagues and all of that. But you got to give up the self-determination first. You think they going to do it, Aki? Hell no, nah, they ain't going to do that. We're going to take that shit then. then. I guess you got to take it then. Because the shit, they ain't going to give it up. Listen here, they didn't come peaceful to America. <laughs> they ain't went nowhere peaceful. Hell no. They, they don't got no working history of that. Nope. And they ain't ever gave up shit. They just been lying to our face. I'm just saying they ain't never gave Think about it. All the African countries. They look, look at Brunei. Some, some of them was peaceful um, takeovers. You know, that sort of will let you know neo-colonialism was coming. Because mm -hmm. the ones who had to fight them was out, like, get up out of here. Like, no, you ain't keeping shit, nigga. Yeah. Go on. And, and check it out. The, the, the white dudes did it dirty, right? And Molly, when they kicked the French out, the French fucked up everything they had there. Railway system, um, 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 telecommunication system. They had the whole, the whole dev, uh, area of Mali networked, wired, railroad. They destroyed it. Fuck this. Y'all is not going <laughs> to... Had nothing that I that I gave y'all or nothing that I brought with me. So that's just what it is. I think that's some evil shit. That's some evil shit, but you know, that lets you know when you fight them and kick them out, they hold grudges. I mean, fuck y'all And they go. And that's what it is. They not going to give up something that they didn't conquer. And we, we seeing... And they feel privileged. But they feel a little bit privileged because even though it may not be the same exact relationship as it was on the plantation, they still control through the system and apparatus of white supremacy. Mm -hmm. And so us saying we want to do our own thing, even though in their mind they say, I'm not even with that shit. It's going to be hard for them to realize the damn niggas ain't here no more. Like all of them just moved down to North Carolina. I mean, South Carolina and Georgia and Mississippi. They don't want to be <laughs> you know, if it's that type of system, if or, it if it went to that way, or or when you had those lines drawn national and nationhood nationhood wise, that you are an outsider. You ain't you ain't one of us. We still cool. We still go to the court and ball, but now you, you ain't. No. And there's gonna be some white liberals, white progressives that feel that way. I think majority of white people would actually enjoy it. Would enjoy would, would enjoy us going into our, like uh, our own institutions more and, oh. se and separating ourselves more. I think majority of white people would. I say this: it's a certain generation that I'm starting to think of differently. And that is the millennial. Mm -hmm. The millennial and the Generation Z. Oh, 
I, I can see that. I can see that they might feel they might feel differently than I'm that. looking at. I'm no. I'm saying I'm looking at them, and I'm saying that they may honestly, they may they may lean towards that way because it's like this. Some I remember I was talking to a white dude one day. He's one of the white guys, you know. He uh, he he he. he I guess he he wish he was black. Mm. You know, and he was like. He was, he said, so he's like, man, see, and he was playing, he helped, he helped me understand something. He was like, man, you know, I, man, I was raised around black people and everything, man. He's like, I just wish it was like a, some more inside stuff. I'm like, what you mean inside stuff? I'm looking at him. Like some inside stuff. Like if you go to other people, like if you get cool with Asians, you get accepted by them, you know, they start teaching you stuff. You know, there's no insider and outsider with us right it's open go back to Terry Crews shit right yeah it's open you know what I'm saying when you got that right there man you know what I'm saying there's nothing that you can cover cause you can now dictate who is in and who ain't Terry, if, Terry Crews says we black supremacists if we try to say who black and who ain't your loyalty and your allegiance determines if you black like you can you, call you like you know I, first of all I, you know you know I ain't even gonna go there with Terry so we're going to call this episode Black Supremacists. Black I think, Supremacists. I, I think we found the name. Black Supremacists. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you know, that sounds like an album. That sounds like an album cover right there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. You know like, what I'm saying? Like controversial out here in these streets. Sound like something Jay-Z would talk a lot on. No, we don't need that. <laughs> need to get some, uh, get my man Twig G on <laughs> All right, y'all, fellow black supremacists. <laughs> we're checking out. <laughs> fellow black supremacists. That's what's up. Hey, we're checking out. Episode two, we done. Peace. Done. Peace.